0: Have you ever considered the impact that your reputation has on the body of Christ as a Christian? In today's sermon, we will analyze that concept by looking at the text of 1 Thessalonians 1 and Paul's encouragement to that congregation as he hears about the good deeds that they have done and how it is motivated and encouraged to. This is Brother Femi Ossigan, a preacher for the Church of Christ. I hope today's sermon helps you to be reflexive about who you are and whose you are, to encourage you to live a life worthy of your Christian calling. Have you ever considered the impact that your faith can have on someone else? It's just not hard for us to fathom the impact that we can have on those in a close proximity to us the ones that we see and interact with on a regular basis. But do we consider the impact that we can have as a congregation on churches whom we do not have known known affiliations with? If we think about it, we understand we might be able to encourage or discourage another church by what goes on right here. And just think about How when you hear of how other Christians are living according to faith, even Christians that you don't even know personally. Sometimes you hear churches are doing good things and you're encouraged. Sometimes we hear that from word of mouth of other Christians or we just see it in the news. And sometimes you hear of other congregations. And they have fallen away from the faith. They're backslidden. They've done things in worship that we know are not sanctioned by Christ because they're trying to appease the world. And it discourages us. You might hear of a church closing its doors. And it saddens us. That impact that news of that church had on a congregation whose only relationship was in God in heaven not through any personal ties on earth. And when we think about that, we see that we as a body have a greater impact than sometimes we acknowledge. This was demonstrated in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, the church that he helped establish. And we read about in Acts 17, the background to that church being established. It was mostly a Gentile church. It was established in the context of Jewish opposition, largely due to, I say, jealousy. And it is believed that Paul was in Corinth at that time. He was there for a year and a half and when he penned this letter. And he was writing to encourage them in their faith and to clarify some things concerning the return of. Of Christ. Now we're just going to look at 1 Thessalonians 1 for today's sermon, and in it we'll see the importance of understanding the impact that a congregation can have on the whole body, and the difference we can make in the lives of fellow Christians everywhere. Now my intention is to read this chapter twice, once at the beginning of the sermon and a second time at the end of it, after we have informed ourselves of some thoughts in which to think through that should carry us throughout this day if not this week but let's read the first chapter of thessalonians first thessalonians 1 together paul and salvanus and timothy to the church of the thessalonians in god the father and the lord jesus christ grace to you and peace we give thanks to god always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of man we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Paul, Salvanus. And Timothy are writing this letter back to the church at Thessalonica where they had to leave abruptly because the impact that they had with the gospel caused jealous Jews to incite a riot. So they had to go for their safety. Because it was tribulations that they were about to be in the midst of persecutions that they were going to face all because they had proved that this Jesus is the Christ in the midst of a pagan society and a Jewish culture that did not want to accept that the Messiah was Jesus Christ. And although they were absent in body, they were not absent in spirit. They were not absent in the mind. You see, they were genuinely concerned for their brothers and sisters that they had left back in Thessalonica and they wanted to make sure that the gospel that they had taught was taking root and that it was actually helping the church that was left in the midst of those problems. Because just because they left doesn't mean that the problems left. The problems that arose arose because of the hold that the gospel was having on people's heart in the city. So they write. To check on their brothers, to check on their sisters. And informed them of some things they had a slight misunderstanding of. And this checking up on, on this communications, this keeping contact is an example of how we should be with our fellow Christian brothers and sisters that we have relationship with. But it also gives us insight into this word that we have made a religious word, which is church. Which in Paul's day just meant A collective of people, a gathered body, like-minded individuals, and it was not a spiritual term. Paul shows us the depth of what a church is. That's why he tells us that it's this group that have assembled in Thessalonica. He also tells us that their true location, the true assembly that they have, is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus. While the word has come to symbolize a Christian gathering. Paul shows how a gathering, once it is in God, shows its true connection. It's a lot of gatherings in this world, a lot of assemblies, but the ones that really matter are the ones that transcend this life and actually meet in God in heaven and have their union, have their connections, their relationships solidified by the blood of Christ. And that's what, Paul was preaching that's what the Thessalonians believe and accepted, and we too are united together in God with Christ with all believers and we should never lose fact of that sight because while we meet at one location on earth the true assembly that we are part of is found in God the church of Earl in God the Father, and Jesus Christ. It's a big, big picture of who we're called to be. And sometimes we lose sight of it because we're focused on the location of where we meet. But Paul tells them, where you're at is really assembled in God. And Paul understood the grandness of The big picture of the church, I think better than anybody. On all the missionary journeys that he went to, he established pockets of congregations that assembled while in those locations, but had their real location, their real connections in God. Three missionary journeys are recorded in scripture, and Paul goes all around the world trying to tell these people that while you live in this city, you can actually find your home in heaven. That's what he's trying to remind these people of. And realizing the connection that they had in Christ, Paul informs them, he's constantly praying for them. Constantly praying for those in Thessalonica. And this is not just some generic prayer. Paul is very specific about what he prays for. Their work of faith, their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And at times, due to lack of relationship with others, we don't pray for the things as we ought to. We'll have a generic prayer instead of a prayer that speaks specifically to what a person is going through. So Paul, aware of what's going on in Thessalonica, he prays specifically for what they are doing. They're working in faith. The labor that they're doing towards God is done in love, and their hope in Christ is steadfast. And this is not only evident to Paul, Salvanus and Timothy, but God sees it as well. Their deed evident to man and to God. And that gives us insight into why Paul can talk about the influence that they had, was well known because they were actually being motivated by the hope of Jesus' second return of finding their home in heaven to cause them to act in this life right here. And not let the tribulations that they were facing from the prosecutors in Thessalonica, from those who opposed the message in Thessalonica to keep them from being active for the Lord. They knew that there was something greater for them, even if it meant that they had to go through a whole lot of problems in this life, a whole lot of oppositions in this life to obtain the heavenly hope. But we also see something else about prayers. A lot of times we pray for situations because we hear the negative thing that's going on. We want God to interact with the person when they're down, help them to get back up. But what Paul is actually doing is praying for the Thessalonians while they're doing good. They're working. Their faith is demonstrated. Their hope is being put into action. And this is when Paul is saying, I'm praying for you because you're doing that. Just think how much stronger They were because they had an advocate in prayer while they were doing what was right. If we pray for each other while we're doing what's right, we might not need to pray as much when a person is going through something bad because it might keep them from the bad that they face because there's no spiritual support when you're doing good. If we consider when we were doing good in our lives and it got to a point of when we weren't doing as good, was people praying for us in our successes? Were we even praying for ourselves during our successes? Sometimes we get to a point to where we're doing good and we're like, God, you're, you're giving me the power to do this and so I got everything I need, but we forget that we need to thank God. Please continue the success that you're giving me. Pray for others as we see that they're being successful. And I know that we pray a lot of times for the preacher in church but how about when we get home, pray for each other? I see that brothers and sister bronze is doing good. I see that they exhibiting faith. I see that they're doing what I would consider as what they need to do. God, continue to bless them to do that. And let's not wait till we hear that. I'm struggling to get on our knees and pray for each other. Because sometimes if we take the time to pray while a person is up, They'll stay up. And they won't have to hit rock bottom. They won't go down. We understand that even with our own lives, that there are temptations that are real to us from without that could cause us to stumble. But if we're mindful of each other, even when we're doing good, we might help someone stay successful. And that success that Thessalonians were demonstrated was because they understood what they were to do. They weren't a church that was just aimless. They were a church that had a purpose and they knew it and they demonstrated it in how they act. And that influenced them. That motivated them in the midst of turmoil. But Paul reminds them, just because we came and preached to you just because you're doing good, that doesn't mean that you could take ownership for your membership in the body. We have to be mindful that it's always God's choice that we were saved. God has the first and last word in regards to salvation. And God imparts His Spirit to those whom He wants saved. That's through Christ. But well, we have to understand that we can't get so high minded on ourselves and think that God is saving me because of me. Rather, appreciate the fact that God has given us salvation and allow that to motivate us because God is the one who's opening the hearts of people through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's not something to get high minded about, but it's also helps us to understand now we have no choice in who will answer this gospel call. So we speak this message as Paul does. And those whom God opens a heart to, they receive it. We can't determine who's going to be a Christian or who's not. All we determine is how we will allow ourselves to be utilized by God. And those who come, we gladly accept and we thank God for the work that they do. For the sake of the gospel, because their work should be in concert with ours, because we're all working towards the same aim, which is to promote a Christian character in this ungodly world. And once we get that, we have a focus that's demonstrated through the way that we live. But that focus, that acceptance into Christ starts. With the word, with the gospel, in which Paul tells them that the gospel that they received, the news of the death, burial, resurrection, and salvation being open to all men, did not just come with words, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and full conviction. So this message of truth that they told, it was accepted, believed. Which caused the Thessalonians to aim their life totally different from where they had been. And then God empowered that word. And the Holy Spirit interacted with them and reassured them. Question When you were baptized, was that something that you did alone? I'm not talking about without other people, but I'm saying, is that something that God didn't participate in? I'm speaking on myself now. I noticed that when I got serious, when I got serious, I had a spirit of peace that I've never experienced in life within. And that helped me to understand that God's spirit really was real working in me. When I started focusing myself on studying God's word, I started to see connections through the studies. And I'm not saying that this is something that's just special to me, but this is what God gives all of his people when we choose to dedicate ourselves to him. He actually works with us and his promises he fulfills. The ones that's given to us through scripture, he actually fulfills them to us. And it's not as if we have just believed some good story, some good message, as if we watched Star Wars and were entertained But no, we believe the truth and it's empowered because the God of this world, he created us and he left us a way in which to get back to him and he didn't leave us alone. And when we understood that, he brought us closer to him. The relationship that he was seeking to have with us, he worked to deepen it, to strengthen it. And in response to that, we live our lives in a way that shows that we're convicted of this message the Thessalonians they were convicted because that was a largely Gentilic church and in those days there was a pantheon of gods that the Gentiles believed in to not believe in all of those gods Zeus, the Hermes and all of those other pagan gods one was thought to be an atheist but that's what Christians were considered because they denounced those other gods. And religion was a far more bigger part of people's life than it is now. Almost all settings, they gave some honor to a deity. And so what the Thessalonians did was when they denounced all of that and accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord, they denounced the ways of the world. So you'll have Paul telling the church in Corinth, which was similar in culture to Thessalonica, that you guys should not be eating at these halls to where people are eating at because they're giving honor to these pagan gods. And your presence there is saying that you actually believe to some extent in that God, which is not a God. And if you don't believe in it, you're actually going to Offend somebody else's conscience Because they'll think you do So they had to analyze Each and every aspect of their lives And so as this message That the Thessalonians says Has come and turned the world upside down When in reality it did Because it presented A savior Unlike any other Who had a a calling That called people away From everything else that was going on in the world Yes, it called Jews to the true identity of the Messiah that God had been pointing to through Old Testament scriptures, but it meant that they had to forsake the law. Well, not forsake the law, but they had to change their stance towards the law, and the law was not what was saving them. It was this Jesus. And because Jesus was saving them, they could have relationships with Gentiles who at one point they couldn't intertwine with because they were considered unclean, and their uncleanness would defile them. And what Paul says is that, All of that doesn't matter once you're in Christ. But once you're in Christ, those who are called together all have to leave something behind to gain this salvation that is only found in Jesus. So for the Jews, it's this law that defined us. For the Thessalonians, it's this culture that we grew up in that also defines us. And the church that accepted that, they left all that behind and took on this gospel message. And it actually meant that they became a new creature in Christ. Had a whole new way of being that was counter to everything else in their lives. And this was evident in the way that they lived. This gospel message Cause, not just a change in orientation to who was God, but also a change in action and how to relate to that God. But Paul didn't expect the Thessalonians to do something that he didn't do. Because as he tells them, you guys became imitators of me and Christ. So what he taught them, what he preached to them, what he it gave to them, he also exemplified it. Think about it. Paul, a man who once had enough zeal to kill Christians because of his belief in the law and that the Messiah was not Jesus Christ, converts his life and now he preaches the same Christ. But this is a man who at one point had it in him to kill, presents a gospel message. There's opposition to him, violent opposition. And what does he do? He flees peacefully. Paul knows scripture and is able to go to the synagogue where scripture is taught on a consistent basis and show from the very scriptures that this Jesus that he is teaching is the embodiment of the scriptures in which they are studying. understandable and relatable enough to go to a culture which believes in a pantheon of gods and convert them to Christ, offending some but calling others to truth in such a way that that truth takes root and they believe it. Paul embodies the characteristics of Christ, the teachings that he is presenting in such a way that it exemplifies to the Thessalonians how they are to be in this city in which he has come and preached Christ. And they've grasped that image, that example, and now they're giving it to others and they're showing that what we have accepted from Paul, we're actually living out and we're demonstrating it to others and Paul hears of this, not from them, but from people that came from Thessalonica. This was a affluent city. This was a city of commerce. This was a city that was on the Aegean Road, and the Aegean Road connected a lot of Rome together. So you have people coming all over to do business, to interact. It's almost like Memphis is now. You bring the trucks in, take your trucks out, you fly in. It's a hub of business. And it's a central city in the south. And you can get almost anywhere from it because of the access. So think of Thessalonica like that. And people are coming and then you hear about what's happening in Thessalonica. And pretty sure that a lot of the churches, this is Paul's second missionary journey. So he's established some congregations on the way. And he's going his way to establish more. So Berea, he leaves. He's in Corinth for a year and a half. And he's um, hearing of these people who've went through, who've heard of what's going on in Thessalonica, and they're saying those guys are faithful. They're saying, Paul, we heard about how they received you in the midst of all that turmoil. We see the way that they live in the midst of that paganism, and it is demonstrating, encouraging, highlighting the fact that the gospel can change the lives of those who accept it and it's encouraging to other Christians as well just think of how you feel when you hear other congregations doing good things in the name of God Who are having an impact in their city because they have taken this gospel message and they have embodied it and they've changed their lives. And now they are being examples to all those who come into contact with them. This is what the Thessalonians were doing. They had a change. They had an impact, not just in Thessalonica, but in all churches that heard of them and the Christians that came through there, and it helped the body. I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians 1 again with that in the back of our mind, and then I just got a few thoughts to share with us. Then this message will be yours. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. And with full conviction, just as you know what kind of man we prove to be among you for your sake, you also became imitators of us and the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead that is, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath. To come. When we think about the impact we have on the body, does it cause others to have prayers of thanks for the work that we're doing? When a person hears about our reputation individually or collectively, are they saying, I thank God for that person being a member of the body because they are giving a good reputation to Christ? When I hear of the work that they're doing, I'm encouraged to do more from Christ. Is our lives causing people to think like that? If it is, let's continue to pray for each other. Let's continue to encourage each other so that we can always be found doing the things that God would have us to do. But if it's not, what would it take for us individually and collectively to have that reputation? If not in the world, at least in the church. Because we understand that while the world may look at us, judge us, condemn us. It's the glory and honor from God that we're actually trying to obtain. And our fellow brothers and sisters, while they're not the final judge in our actions, they could give us insight into if we are headed the right directions. One way in which we can discern our own actions. Think about it. Do we let faith motivate the work that we do? Do we do the things that we do because we really believe that this is what God is having us to do, basing this upon the promises of God? Or do we need some proof, some evidence right here, right now to keep us on the right track? Or are we like horses that have that carrot in front of us and every time it moves, it goes? Or are we convicted in our spirit with the understanding of scripture that I need to go and follow God, even if it doesn't make sense, even if I can't see my way through it? Because if we're going with the latter, then that means that we're allowing faith to to motivate us to do what God would have us to do, because we don't always know the way. Are we inspired by love when we do the things that we do? Do we do the things with the right intent, the right motive for the right purpose and love? It's action, also a decision. Think about the relationships you have with others. When it's rooted in love, it's not always based upon a give and take transaction. It's based upon, I'm doing what's best for you in this moment. And sometimes love causes us to be honest with others, which causes not always the best feelings. So when we understand what we're doing with things in love, we have to acknowledge that it's not always going to be easy. We have to recognize that while we intend for it to have the best result, on the latter end, we might have to go through a rough patch. We might have to risk a relationship to get through to the truth, to what God would have, and not settle for pleasantries. Call each other out when needed so that we can be better for the purpose of the gospel. And when we operate, motivate out of love, we'll understand why we can get or how we can get like Paul was and tell people the truth. You have a misunderstanding about this. Corinthians, you guys are flat out wrong about this. Or encourage them when they're doing right and if we're doing that let our hope not be in the fact that we're self-righteous but our hope is in the fact that when Jesus returns we'll go back to heaven with him and if that's our motivating force behind all of our actions then we'll look everything through that lens of Christ And we'll understand that what I'm trying to do is actually to please my Savior, the only one who can save me. If we're doing it for ourselves, then that's out of pride. But if we're doing it for Christ, that's out of humility. And then it'll cause us to think, how much of what do we do is because of our belief in Christ? Your belief in Christ, how much has that caused you to change who you are? When you were baptized, what was it about yourself that you gave up? When you committed yourself to Christ, what was it that you actually changed and separated from? Because we can't have both. We can't live in the church and in culture because they're going to clash with each other. And at some point, we have to take a look in the mirror and say to ourselves, who is it that I want to be? Do I want to be a citizen of heaven or do I want to be a citizen of this world? The world is going to present a whole lot of images, a whole lot of things that to this flesh are pleasurable, but to our spirit is damning. So we have to make a decision. Where am I going to feed my spirit or my flesh? And when we got baptized, God gave us help in making that decision. He left us with his Holy Spirit to overcome our struggles, our temptations in the flesh. But are we drawing closer to God or drawing further away from him? Depending on which one we're doing is going to impact the reputation that we have. So when a person sees us, they will either see us as a Christian or as a fellow citizen of the world. And while we're trying to live our lives to the glory and honor of God, I want us to think about the people that were impactful in bringing us to church, bringing us to Christ, that taught us how would they see us Paul sees the Thessalonians and he says, I'm proud of what you're doing. Think about the person who taught you the gospel. If they knew what you were doing, if they heard of your reputation, how would they assess that? Would they say, I'm proud of you? Or would they say, I think I wasted my time in trying to convert you to Christ? Are they saying, you're doing the things that I taught you? Or would they say, I think we need to sit down and reteach some of these fundamental lessons. Because while we do want to live our lives to please God, the ones who worked for us, who labored to bring us the gospel, who prayed, who taught, who hoped that we would obtain salvation, they also should find some fruits for their labors in us. And last but not least, who are we influencing for Christ? The example that we lead. Do those whom we tell we're Christians, do they believe that we follow Christ because of what we do? Do the words that we speak exemplify God speaking through us? Because we're going to leave, we're going to teach We are going to live our lives. And they say a lived life is the lesson a person leaves behind. So however we live, somebody's learning from it. Is it learning godliness or worldliness? And as we consider that today is Father's Day, we're mindful of our earthly fathers and the examples that they left behind for us. But it's our heavenly father who sent his son that exemplified how we all are to live. That we should be striving to please with our efforts. And in doing such, we should be connecting people to his son. So that they will have the same salvation we are afforded. Not because we're so great, but because our father is. And he's choosing people through his son, Jesus Christ. In which to bring eternal salvation, we believe that gospel message, just live it out, and let's do all that we can so that our reputation precedes us in a good way. I hope this message goes with you. I hope that as you read Thessalonians, you're reminded of you're reminded of the examples of a good church and the impact that we can have on even strangers in Christ. And how we can influence somebody with the faith that we exhibit, even if, even if we don't know him personally. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in Scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansions, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2, where you get Paul preaching the first gospel sermon and in response to those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.